Good evening. Welcome to our second weekday night of the revival services. Would you please stand and together we're going to lift up our voices as we sing a shelter in the time of storm, starting off with an old hymn, The Lord's Our Rock, in Him We Hide. The Lord's Our Rock, in Him We Hide, a shelter in the time of storm, secure whatever ill we tie, a shelter in the time of storm. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary land, a weary land, a weary land. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary land, a shelter in the time of storm. A shade by day, defense by night, a shelter in the time of storm. No fears alarm, no foes affright, a shelter in the time of storm. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary land, a weary service this evening. We're looking forward to the preaching, the singing, and it is a blessing to see you here. Let's open up with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we come before you, Lord, and we thank you that we can gather together. We can fellowship one with another. We thank you for the great dinner you gave us down in the fellowship hall and for Dave's cooking and the folks that helped and worked with him. Lord, we thank you so much for the way you provide. And I do pray that you be with our service that in every way it might honor you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Please be seated. Well, let's continue in singing this evening. 
The splendor of a king, how great is our God. The splendor of the king, clothed in majesty, let all the earth rejoice, let all the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light, and darkness tries to hide. It trembles at his voice, it trembles at his voice. How great is our God, sing with me, how great is our God, and all will see how great, how great is our God. challenge to reach out to somebody by five o'clock and so today I had to do several things from Virgins to Middlebury and every place I went I made it a point to go ahead and reach out and invite and even last night when I was sitting over here and I raised my hand along with some uh, most of you uh, I had somebody in my mind that I was going to reach out to absolutely talked to her today told her come to the revival 
She said, I can't, I can't tonight, but I'm really going to make it a priority to be there Wednesday night. So I work it just like you work it, amen? Except I go from town to town working it, man. I'm, I'm out there. All right. We're going to turn it right over to our evangelist, our preacher. He's doing a great job. It's been a blessing all the way. Thank you, Brother Tam. Well, I did ask some of you to make a commitment, and I know there's one or two of you right now going, Oh, I lied in church last night, and you forgot about it. Now, your penance for forgetting it, you have to make two calls by 5 o'clock tomorrow night. But I'm not going to ask who forgot, but I am going to ask who remembered. How many will say, Brother Ken, I kept my word and I made my contact. Oh, look at that. Great. Now, let's see if there's any results. Is there anyone here tonight that would say somebody called me and said they missed me? Is there any? Oh, there you are. Yeah. We were talking about you people last night. Isn't it wonderful that you got people that love you enough to call you up? And we're so glad you made it to the meeting tonight. And uh, remember, if you're taking the revival challenge, and that is to be here for all five of my messages, we've only got one more night. And this meeting will be over. Right after the service, me and Julie will be back at our table in the lobby. Please come by and look at it. I've got Christian t-shirts and hats back there. And we sell those for one reason, and that is to cover the cost of our mission trips. When we go to the mission field, we pay for the flights, we pay for the food. We, when we go out to the restaurant, I pick up the check. Uh, we do all the expenses. You know, Julie's parents were missionaries for many years. And they said, we loved it when people would come to the mission field, but sometimes people would come and eat them out of house and home. And uh, as much as they enjoyed them being there, it was a very bad expense for a missionary. So I never want the missionary to be out one red cent. They, we don't ask for anything. We take care of everything. And uh, then we do projects also while we're there. And the way we do that is uh, uh, by uh, selling those crazy Christian t-shirts and hats back there. And you can write a check or you can use your credit or debit card back there. We're in the 21st century. And uh, I have a little change if you need it. Uh, just a few years ago, I got up on uh, New Year's Day while some of you were still hung over from your New Year's Eve party. And uh, I got on a plane and flew all the way to Honolulu, Hawaii. And then I changed planes and flew on to the island of Guam. And Guam is in the South Pacific. It's about 12 miles wide and about 32 miles long. It basically belongs to the United States. It's a military, a lot of military on the island of Guam. And when I flew over there, I lost a day completely. It was gone. You lose a day. And the day I arrived, uh, I was to speak at the at the Temple Baptist Church on the island of Guam, but the chaplain, Brother Rick Kelly, he had invited me to come to speak to the military at the base. 
and that the day I arrived, January the 2nd, uh, a brand new two-star general had just taken over the command of the island of Guam. And uh, I started the uh, revival, and then the next day, Brother Kelly came to me with a big, long face and said, Brother Kent, we have a brand new two-star general, and if you know anything about the military, when a new general takes over, he turns everything upside down. And he said, I don't think I'm going to be able to get you on the base because of this new general. Well, a fellow by the name of Emmanuel was the master sergeant, and he was also the song leader at the church. When he heard it, it made him mad. And the next morning, he walked right into the general's office and said, General, this man we want to bring on the base to speak to the troops, his name is Kent York, and he's a descendant of Sergeant York of World War I. Which I am. I'm a descendant of uh, Sergeant York. The great Sergeant York. And for you young people that don't know who he was. He was the most decorated soldier in World War I. He was the closest thing to a rock star in that day. And they gave him a ticker tape parade down uh, Wall Street in New York City. And uh, even to this day. I didn't even know it. To this day. They still teach nine things that Alvin C. York did in battle to the troops today. You have to learn what he did. And when the general heard that I was kin to Sergeant York. He said, well, I guess we ought to let him come and speak to the men and the women. There's women there too. And they brought me on the base with pomp and circumstance. <laughs> they assembled all the troops out there. And uh, the chaplain said, I have to be careful what I say, but the general invited you and you can say anything you want to. <laughs> and I said, well, I was going to anyway. It didn't matter. But uh, I got up that morning and I preached Jesus Christ to those troops. And 53 service people came to know Christ as their Savior in that one service. Then we had 13 more saved at the Temple Baptist Church. And then I got on that big jet and flew back to Honolulu. And I'm going up the jet bridge into the Honolulu airport. And when I get to the top of the jet bridge, there's three young men with burr haircuts standing there grinning at me. And I could tell they were waiting on me. And I'm like, can I help you guys? And they said, Brother Kent, we saw you on the plane. All three of us got saved in Guam. And we're on our way to Fort Benning, Georgia for more training. But we didn't want to leave the plane without saying thank you for coming to Guam. We got saved. And you know, that's the kind of mission work I do every year. I go somewhere around the world. I pay all the expenses. And we preach the gospel. We just got back a month ago from San Jose, Costa Rica, where we saw 23 saved in five churches in Costa Rica. So when you buy a shirt or a hat, you're going to help me go on my next mission trip. And we would uh, love for you to see fruit in your life from using us as your missionary outreach around the world. And so come back. Me and Julie are back there after every service. I've, 
I've decided tonight that I'm going to run a special on the shirts too. Uh, if you buy one, you have to buy three tonight. All right. So uh, it, it's quite special for the missionaries. <laughs> no, you come back here and see us. And uh, we do want to meet all of you and shake your hand also. Well, just before I preach, Julie's going to come and sing for us. And, uh, uh, you know, isn't it a wonderful thing to know that when... You were lost that God was searching for you. He was convicting you. He was drawing you. And even when some of us didn't care anything at all about God, he loved us first. And this is another song that Julie wrote herself. And it's called Searching for me. You listen as she sings. Going through the motions of my down by sorrow, silence, strife. In my heart, true love, I could not feel. The smile was fake, the pain was oh so real, and I'd Behind a wall of rainbows, I look through a stained glass pane of pictures, all in blue. Then I heard a voice echo through my soul, calling, calling. He was searching. It was Christ's voice that I heard calling for me across those lines I had blurred. There was love in tenderness in his eyes as he searched for me. I could not escape his precious voice though I tried to avoid his gaze he said it would have to be my choice I listen to him now I have brighter days he was searching for me it was Christ's voice that I heard calling for 
you honey open your bibles tonight to the book of second corinthians chapter number four. Second corinthians chapter number four we're going to begin reading in verse number three tonight second corinthians chapter four verse number three as soon as you find your place in god's word let's stand and we'll honor the bible as we read it tonight I still believe prayer is the key to any great revival or any great movement. And I always like, after I read my text, to invite anyone that would like to, to come and join me down here around the altar. And we pray for the service. We pray for revival tonight. And uh, everyone is welcome. Some of you will not be comfortable coming down here. And if you're not comfortable, you can just be seated. Or if you're not able physically, I understand completely. But you are welcome to come and pray with me. We do this in every service. I've never deviated in from this in now 25 years as an itinerant evangelist. We've always prayed before I preach. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. The Bible says, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world. And I think you'll notice in your Bible, that's not a capital G, that's a little g. 
That's not the true God. The God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, that's the capital G, that's the true God, should shine unto them. I invite anyone who would like to, come on down and join me around the altar. We're going to kneel and pray. The remainder you can be seated, but you're welcome to join me. Come on down and pray with me. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Come on down and pray. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight. Boy, it's good to be in your house on a, on a Tuesday night. Oh, we've had good fellowship and good food and we've enjoyed the singing. Now we've read your word and you said your word will never, ever return void. It's already begun to work in a heart. And tonight, I'm praying for a man, a woman, a boy or a girl who's waiting for one last event on their spiritual calendar. And that is for their heart to beat one last beat. And they're going to go out into eternity lost without Jesus. Oh, dear Heavenly Father. I pray tonight that they would listen like never before. And that before they would leave this room. They would know that if they died tonight. They'd go to heaven. That they'd be with you. Oh, God, give me the words to say. Give me the power to be your man tonight. We're going to trust you already that you're going to work in hearts. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Did you notice tonight in these two verses that we read? It spoke of a blindness. Blindness. But did you notice that usually when you speak of blindness, you talk about your eyes. I have what is called retinal neuropathy. 
and my vision has been deteriorating for several years. Blindness deals with the eyes. But did you notice in this passage, it didn't say that their eyes were blinded, but it says their mind was blinded. The God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. And I don't know about you, if you've been watching the news the last few days, I'll tell you, it's just, it's unbelievable. Things you hear, things you see. And you know, usually the eyes tell you the truth. But your mind can lie to you. Your mind can play tricks with you. Me and Julie, several years ago, we traveled in a great big 40-foot motor coach and pulled a car. And we were headed to a meeting on the outskirts of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And if you've ever been to Pittsburgh, that's the most hilly, curvy, crookedest town you'll ever drive through. It's unbelievable. You barely can keep your battery up because you're pushing your brake pedal all the time. And the preacher, uh, we were at the little town of Midway, just out on the edge on the west side of Pittsburgh. I called the pastor and I said, I'm getting close to your town. I'm going down a little two-lane road and I'm getting close to your town. Tell me, how do you get to your church? And he said, well, Brother Kent, you'll come down and you'll make a sharp right and then you'll be in right downtown Midway Pennsylvania, and then you're going to see a railroad track and a great big stone arch underneath it. And you have to go through that arch, and on the other side is the First Baptist Church. That's where we're at. Now, he said, Brother Kent, there's a sign there that says 10 feet 6 inches. And I'm like, 10 feet 6 inches? I need 12 feet, 3 inches just to get this thing under it. He said, well, if you'll stay in the middle of the arch, I think you'll make it. And I'm like, you think I'll make it? Yeah, yeah, stay in the middle of the arch and you'll make it. And so, boy, I'm driving down this two-lane road, and there ain't no place to turn around or pull over, and I'm headed to downtown Midway, Pennsylvania, and, and I don't know what it is. My body must exude like worry glands or something. I don't know. But Julie got up, and yeah, you have a wife like that? She can sniff a problem out. And she's up there sniffing around, and she's like, is everything okay? And I'm like, yeah, it's okay. And she stayed up there by that front window at that front chair up there. And all of a sudden I turned that corner and there was that stone underpass with that railroad. And she said, don't do it. Don't do it. Because if you ever, have you ever raked off an air conditioner or a satellite dish? It's expensive, I'll tell you. And I said, well, the preacher said we can make it under if we stay in the middle. No, we can't. And so I just pulled over on the side of the road.
And we sat there and looked at it. And I said, I tell you what, let's get out and unhook the car. And you get down there and stand at the underpass. And I'll drive real slow. And you look up there and see if I'm making it or not. And she said, okay, we'll do that. And the reason we had to unhook the car, because if you have to back up, you, you, gotta, you can't back up pulling a car. So we're back there. We come out of the door and we're back there unhooking our little car. And all of a sudden, up on the hillside, there was a big parking lot. An old man come running down the hill. He was like 82 years old, <laughs> yelling, don't do it, don't do it. And he come down there to us and he said, don't do it. You have, your motorhome's too pretty to tear it up. He goes, I got an old clunky one and I won't go through there. And so he come down there and he said, well, what are you doing? He, I said, well, uh, we're going to speak tomorrow morning at First Baptist Church. And the preacher said, if we stay in the middle, we could make it. He goes, preachers lie. <laughs> And Brother Tim, I really couldn't argue with him on that. I knew that to be a fact. He said, what are y'all going to do over there? I said, well, Julie's going to sing and I'm going to preach in the morning. I said, are you doing anything in the morning? Well, no. I said, why don't you come hear us sing and preach? He said, well, I might. And so he gave us directions and we had to go five miles to go around that, that underpass and get to the church. Well, the next morning, here he came to church. Came at 10 o'clock for Sunday school. He saw a friend of his that he used to work at U.S. Steel in Pittsburgh with. And he sat with his buddy over here along the wall. And when Sunday school was over, he got up and he said, Well, that was real good. I'll see you later. I'm leaving. And his friend said, well, we got coffee and donuts over here and Brother Kent's going to preach again. He's going to preach again? Okay. So he drank some coffee and ate a donut. And then he sat through my second service. And during the invitation, I said, if you need to come and be saved, you come on down here and meet me right down here. And he turned to his buddy from the steel plant and said, are you going to go down? <laughs> he said, no. He goes, well, get out of my way. I'm going down. Aww. And that old man came down to the altar and I got down there with my Bible. And I led that man to the Lord. And, you know, sometimes your eyes will tell you, I think we can make that. But really your old mind will play a trick on you. And I think many times how God worked in that, how he ran us up to that dead end overpass. To meet a man that was sitting out on his porch up on the hillside so that he would get saved the next day. And that was a miracle of God. But you know, tonight I want to talk about how the devil loves to blind your mind. A little boy came home from revival meeting one night. He was just a little boy. When he got home, his daddy said, how did the service go tonight at the church? And the little boy said, oh, dad, there was a big fight at church tonight. There was a big fight. And the dad said, oh, really? 
who was fighting. And the little boy said, Jesus was telling me to go down and get saved. But the devil was telling me not to do it. Oh, Dad, it was a big fight tonight. Jesus and the devil were fighting tonight. And the daddy said, well, son, who won the fight? And a big smile come on his face. And he said, Jesus won the fight. Because, Dad, I got saved tonight at the revival. And, you know, isn't that an incredible thing? A little boy is literally telling us the deep truth in this passage. There is a great fight going on. And tonight, there's some of you in this room. Yes, Jesus wants you to be saved. The devil wants to blind your mind. And he'll do anything he can to keep you from being saved. I'm going to be very honest and upfront with you right now. At the close of this message, I'm going to hold what I call an altar call. I like to call it an invitation because I'm going to invite you to walk down to Pastor Tim right here. I'm going to invite you to come down today and make a decision for Jesus Christ. But I'm going to tell you, when we get to that moment of truth, when I hold that altar call, you mark it down. The devil's going to do everything in his power to try to blind your Mind. First off, the devil's going to tell somebody, you don't need to go down there because you're not a bad person. I've never killed anyone. I've never committed an armed robbery. Isn't being bad what makes you lost? And I want you to understand this tonight. No. You're lost and it makes you bad. But being bad does not make you lost. You see, we live in a world today where many false religions have taught us that one day you're going to go up to heaven and there's going to be a big scale. And they're going to put your good works over here and your bad works over here. And they're going to teeter back and forth. And if the good works outweigh the bad works, you go to heaven. And if the bad works outweigh the good works, you're, you're going to go to hell. Not in the Bible. Find it. Show it to me. That is a lie. Do you understand in John chapter 3 and verse 17? It says, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You see, it's Jesus' will that everyone be saved. But what does that next verse say? He that believeth on him is not condemned. But I want you to get this. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Wow. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Get this clear tonight. You're not lost because you lie and steal. You're lost because you have not 
believed. And if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're condemned already. Do you realize that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, that's what that verse said. He came to save the world from its sin. When he died on the cross, he took all the sins of the world, past, present, and future. You don't die and go to hell because you're a sinner. You die and go to hell because you do not believe in the only begotten Son of God. That's how you get saved. And I say to you tonight, have you trusted Jesus? Was there a time and a place where it happened? Because if you haven't, there's no way. There's no way for you to go to heaven if you've never trusted Christ. Secondly, there'll be someone that'll say, Well, Brother Ken, I, I'm not going to, I can't get saved because I'm too bad. Satan's going to tell you, You're too bad. Do you realize that Jesus Christ can save anyone? You say, oh, Brother Kim, but you don't know my life. I've done some terrible things. There is no sin that trumps the grace of God. When I was a little kid, and I don't know if y'all still sing it in Sunday school, but Brother Tim, do you remember we used to sing that song deep and wide? Deep and wide, deep and wide, there's a fountain flowing deep and wide. Let me tell you, the grace of God is deep and it's wide. And it doesn't matter what sins you've committed, you can be saved. My dad was a pastor and we had a sweet lady in our church and her husband was lost and he would never come to church and he knew he wasn't saved. And I'd go with dad out to the house just as a little boy and sit there on the couch. And His name was Rufus Welch. You say, how do you remember that? Who could forget that? Rufus Welch. And every time dad would witness to Rufus, he would say, Pastor, I can't be saved. I'm a murderer. I killed a man. When Rufus was young, it was back during Prohibition. And for you young people that don't know, there was a law once in America called Prohibition. And all beer and alcohol and wine and, and liquor, it was all illegal. So the only way people could get their whiskey is they bootlegged it across county lines at night. It was totally illegal. And Rufus was a driver for a bootlegger. And one night while he was making a whiskey run, a man jumped out in the road with a gun to rob him. And Rufus pulled out his gun and he killed that man. He was never taken into the sheriff. They never knew who killed that man. But Rufus knew I murdered that man. And he used to say, Pastor, I cannot be saved because I'm a murderer. And I heard my dad many times tell Rufus, Rufus, God saves murderers too. There is no sin that can keep you from being saved. I was doing a youth camp one year in Binger, Oklahoma, and I held the altar call that night at the youth camp. Several hundred teens were there. And 
little beautiful blue-eyed blonde-haired girl came down to the altar and knelt right there. She was just weeping out of control. And two of the female counselors got on each side of her and began to deal with her. And it went on and on and on. Finally, I said, all right, we're all going to dismiss. Go out the back. Don't come up here because they're still dealing with someone at the altar. In about 20 minutes, they came down to the camp and they got me and they said, Brother Camp, would you come up here and talk to this girl? She needs to be saved, but she says she can't be saved. And so I went down there and sat on the altar with her. And I said, honey, why can't you be saved? And she said, oh, Brother Kent, I've done terrible things. I've done horrible things. And I said, oh, honey, there's no sin that can keep you from being saved. Jesus died for all the sins. And she went on and on. And finally, I just about had enough. And I said, okay, okay. Tell Brother Kent, what have you done that's so terrible? Tell me, what have you done that you can't be saved? And with tears running down her face, she told me how her own grandfather had started sexually molesting her as a little girl. And he took every opportunity he could to molest her sexually. And she said, Brother Kid, I've done terrible things. And I remember I took her by the arms and I said, first off, honey, none of that's your fault. Secondly, you can be saved. And we turned and got down on that altar and she prayed and asked Christ to come into her heart. And a big smile came on her face. And she was gloriously saved that night. It made for a long night for me because I went directly to the camp office and called the police. And her grandfather, he went to prison. That's where he belongs. Let me tell you something. I don't know your life. I don't know what you've done. But there's nobody in this room tonight that's too bad to get saved. Jesus will save us all. Thirdly, Satan's going to tell someone, you can't get saved because you're too old. <laughs> you know you're never too old to get saved. Jesus just didn't die for teenagers and young people. Me and Julie went to the United Kingdom several years ago. And I'll never forget we were in a church in Wales. Just down below those, those black slate hills in Wales. And the church had pews that had little swinging doors on the end of them. And the missionary told me, he said, Now, Brother Kent, you're in England here, and people won't come down to the altar to get saved. And I said, Well, that's the only thing I know how to do, so I'm going to hold an invitation. He said, You do whatever you want to. And I held an invitation that morning. And an 83-year-old woman stood up and opened that swinging door and came down to that altar. And Julie went down and got down beside her and led that woman to the Lord that morning. She'd been in that church for years and years and years and years. And 
She'd been part of the old Union Baptist. And when the good missionary came in, they just kept coming to his church. But she was not saved. Let me tell you something. You're not too old to be saved. God still saves old people. But I will tell you in my travels now for 25 years, it's an unusual thing to see an older person. You know why? Because their old heart gets hard. There's someone else that's going to say, Satan's going to say, you're too young to get saved. Let me tell you something. The Bible says the best time to be saved is when you're young. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 1. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. While the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh. When thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. You know what? When your heart is tender and you're young, it's a great time to be saved. Focus on the Family did a study and the study came back and said that 90% of those who are not saved by the age of 16 will never get saved. Did you hear that? That means there's some in this room tonight, you're at a very dangerous age. If you're 14 or 15 or 16. The odds of you ever getting saved go down dramatically after you turn 60. When you're young, it's a good time to get saved. Because as you age, that old heart becomes harder and harder. And I have to say many times, I've seen it, I pastored for 18 years. I've seen parents discourage their children about being saved. Oh, you're too young. You can't go down there and get saved. You're too young. You know what? If your child is old enough to understand they're a sinner, if they're old enough to understand that Jesus died for their sins, if they're old enough to understand he died on a cross and they buried him, and on the third day he rose again, they understand enough to be saved. And my opinion is this. Let them come. Let them make a profession. They might make in their lifetime two or three. But one of them will eventually stick. But I don't want to ever tell a young kid or a young person, no, you can't be saved. Because I've seen some parents do that and that kid never walked the aisle ever again. Parents, don't discourage your children of being saved. Because it's a good time to be saved when you're young. And then Satan is going to blind someone and say, You're saved. You've just never been baptized. Now you need to understand... There is no saving power in water. I met a lady one day. She said, well, I've been baptized five times. I don't care if you know every tadpole in that tank by first name. There is no saving power in that water. Baptism doesn't save you. 
The Bible says it's a show of a good conscience to, before God. Acts chapter 2 verse 41. Then they that gladly received the word were baptized the same day. And was added unto the church about 3,000 souls. Boy, it was a big day. You see, baptism is really how you tell the world you love Jesus. And you know, if you love someone, you're proud of them. I've been all over America. I've never had a man walk up to me and go, Brother Kent, I'd like you to meet my wife. Isn't she ugly? I've never heard that. I've never had a grandma and grandpa walk up and go, Brother Kent, these are my grandchildren. Aren't they hideous little monsters? No. You love them. You're proud of them. And if you love Jesus and you've been saved... Why would you not be baptized? Because when you get in that water, you're actually acting out the gospel. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, we don't hold you under the water. No, you resurrect out of the water. And you're actually acting out the gospel message. And if you love Jesus, wouldn't you want everybody to know about it? You know, you take some of these boys back here in, in school. Hey, just go with me a minute. What if you were the ugliest kid in school? Now, I'm not saying you are. We might have a few candidates here. But, but what if you were the ugliest kid in school? But you got a date with the prettiest girl in school. Would you, keep that, <laughs> would you keep that to yourself? No, you wouldn't. You'd be... You'd, you'd have to have a thumb transplant. You'd tell everybody. Well, it always bothers me when people say they're saved. But they don't want to tell the world that they love Jesus. And there's some of you tonight in this room. You've been saved, but you've never been baptized. You need to come and tell the preacher, I want to get baptized. As soon as you can get that water ready, I want to, I want to invite my family and my friends. And I'm going to tell them on that Sunday morning, I'm getting baptized. And I want you to come to church and cheer me on. And you know what? Many of you have lost family and friends and they'll come and get the gospel that day. You see, Satan loves to blind us. And then there's someone else, Satan's going to say, Oh, don't listen to that little evangelist. You're already a church member. You know, there's someone in this room tonight that's a member of this church. But down in your heart, you know you're not saved. Billy Graham used to say that he believed that he was preaching to 75% of church members that were lost. Now, I would hope that our statistics are a little better than that. But you see, there's a lot of people that are trusting in their church membership. I'm a member. I went down front and they filled out a card. And you're going to stand before God one day and go, here's my card. And he's going to say, I don't know you. 
when I married my wife, Julie, down here. She was 18, I was 21. I did rob the cradle. But she kicked out a slack to get to me. Uh -huh. <laughs> she told me that she was saved, and I thought she was. Because the Bible says, don't be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. I would have never married a girl that was not a believer. I was the associate pastor of the church. Julie was the church secretary. She was 14 years old when her mom and dad left the Catholic church and got saved. She was raised in the parochial schools with the nuns and the rulers on the back of the hands. And when her parents got saved, she just said, I've done the Catholic thing, now let's do the Baptist thing. And at a youth camp, she went down with a big group of kids and said she got saved. But she didn't get saved. And she knew it in her heart. She was the church secretary. I was the associate pastor. One night our pastor brought a message about hell. And he made this statement. What difference does it make what people think about you? If you still die and go to hell. And she could not shake that that night. We went home. and We lived next door to the church. Part of my salary package. We got to live in a little old rundown house. That a widow woman died and left to the church. The preacher paid me and her both $100 a week. Got us both for $100 a week. We were in the ministry. When about three o'clock in the morning, I was sleeping like a baby, as I usually do. And she woke me up and said, Kent, do you ever doubt that you're saved? And I said, well, honey, you know, Satan will make you doubt your salvation. But I can always go back to that place, that day. That moment when I asked Jesus to save me. And she said, I can't do that. And I said, well, honey, we can settle that tonight. And at three o'clock in the morning, we slipped out of the bed and got down on our knees. Oh, I'll never forget that old house. We had linoleum in the bedroom. Cold linoleum. And we got down on that old coal and oil. And I didn't have to lead her in a prayer. She knew how to pray. And Julie prayed and asked Christ to save her. The next morning, we had to go in the pastor's office. And she told the pastor what had happened. And he was so happy. Amen. And then Sunday, she went before the whole church and told them I got saved. And he baptized her. And we've been serving the Lord ever since. Let me tell you something. Being a church member does not make you a Christian. And there's some of you tonight that you're trusting in the Victory Baptist Church to get you into heaven. And it will not work. 
Only the blood of Christ will save you. And then finally, Satan's going to blind someone's mind with this. You can do it some other day. I knew I needed to be saved for six years before I got saved. And I got to tell you, that was a horrible six years. But some of you, Satan is going to say to you, Oh, you agree with that evangelist. You understand what he's saying. I know I need to get saved. But Satan said, don't do it tonight. No. Why don't you wait till next Sunday when Brother Tim's preaching? Why don't you just put it off a few more days so that there's some things I can do to straighten out? No. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Harden not your heart. You see, Satan is doing everything in his power. To get you into hell. And to blind your mind. Well, I'm through with this sermon. We are going to do one last piece of business. We've got a little campaign going on. And we call it, Let's Get Ready to Rumble. And each night we have two teams that rumble against each other. And last night, oh, we had a good rumble last night. Sandy and Erica rumbled against Paul and Tammy. And Paul and Tammy came out on top with 149 points. Good job. Did you see the bowl of goodies uh, that Paul passed out to all of his team people? I mean, I got cheese and an apple last night. It was pretty fun. And uh, I haven't been fed tonight by any team leader. I don't know what's going on. But um, anyway, uh, tonight we've got two more teams. The score to beat is 149. And let's see, do I have my impartial counters here tonight? Is KC here tonight? KC, come on down. There he is. Give him a hand. Is Emily? Emily not here? Let's see. Who's your new friend? Could she take Emily's place? What's your name, dear? Courtney, Emily's not here. Could you come and be an impartial counter? I know you're not a team leader, so you're impartial. You come right. Well, wait a minute. Casey, you come over here in case you were bought off on this side. <laughs> Emily, this will, uh, this will, no, not Emily. Courtney, all right, Courtney. Thank you. Now give Courtney and Casey a big hand. <laughs> now, Courtney. You're counting everybody in these two sections, the sound booth and me. Don't forget me and yourself. Also count yourself. And then KC, you're counting everybody on the right two sections. And uh, you want to uh, make sure you get everyone. All right. The first team tonight is John and Hannah. Where's John and Hannah? If you said you would stand up 
Rapper John and Hannah stand up tonight. Now, Courtney and Casey, count everyone standing one point apiece. I am standing, but I'm not standing for them, so don't count me. Don't count me. One point apiece. Count everybody standing. What do you got, Casey? Twelve. Twelve. No, hold on. One, two. All right, over to Courtney. Twenty-three. Now, how did she count twenty-three and you can't count twelve? No, what do you got? Thirteen. Thirteen. Oh, thank you, Casey. Now, do any of you have a spouse or a child that's not in the auditorium? They may be in the nursery or they may be back in the prayer rooms. If you know of somebody back there, hold up one finger for a spouse or a child that's not in the room. Hold up a finger for each one. All right, Casey, how many fingers you got? Zero. Zero. How many fingers you got, Courtney? One more. All right. If you're a member of Victory Baptist Church, be seated. All you members, be seated. Now, these are non-members. They're worth five points apiece. So count them five, 10, 15, 20. Don't make me do the math. All right, Courtney? All right. Count those in multiples of five. All right, Casey, what do you got? 35. 35. <laughs> Courtney, what do you have? 30. 30. Do any of you have a child or a spouse that's not in the auditorium, but they're standing for John and Hannah? Hold up one finger for each one. One finger for each one. All right, Courtney, what do you got? One, finger. one is not a multiple of five, Courtney. <laughs> Casey? All right, let's give John and Hannah a big hand. You can be seated. All right, tonight they're rumbling against Kurt and Rachel. If, if you said you'd stand for Kurt and Rachel, stand up tonight for Kurt and Rachel. Count everybody standing one point apiece. Uh, Courtney, I'm standing for Kurt and Rachel, and I know my wife just walked in. She's standing for them, too. All right. So what do you got on the left there, Court? I got 23. 23. KC? 25. 25. Do any of you have a child or a spouse that's not in the auditorium right now, but they're standing for Kurt and Rachel? Hold up one finger for each one. One finger for each one. All right, Courtney, how many fingers you got? One more, and Casey? Uh, I believe zero. All right. Now, if you're a member of Victory Baptist Church, go ahead and be seated. Members, be seated. Now, count these in multiples of five. And Courtney, uh, I'm not a member, and neither is my wife, so count us multiples of five. What do you got, Casey?
25. What do you got, Courtney? 40. 40. Do any of you have a child or a spouse that's not in the auditorium, but they're standing for Kurt and Rachel, and they're non-members? Hold up a finger. Keep in mind that most babies back in the back are not members. Hold up a finger. What do you got, Casey? Zero. What do you got, Courtney? Five. Five more points. All right. Give Kurt and Rachel a big hand, and you can be seated. Give Courtney and Casey a big hand. I've already added up John and Hannah's score. Give me a minute to add up Kurt and Rachel's score. You can talk among yourself. I'll give you the subject. Christian scientists, neither a Christian or a scientist. Talk about that, Amanda. Two more points. Okay, two more. Kurt and Rachel are both back in the back dealing, so we added two points to their score for being in the back. Let's see. All right, boy, we had a close one tonight. John and Hannah did a great job tonight. They can't remember the score to beats, 149 points. They had 107 points tonight. Give them a hand. But bless their heart, Kurt and Rachel are back in the prayer room, and they came in with 117 points. That was only a 10-point difference. Two non-members, and it would have been tied. And so they are winners tonight. But guess what? They did not butt Paul and Tammy off the top of the hill. They're still the leader for the grand prize. Now, all the prizes will be awarded at the close of the service tomorrow night. And you must be present. We don't mail presents to anybody. All right. So you team leaders, you want to be here to all of them are going to win a prize. But there will be a grand prize also awarded tomorrow night at the end of the service. So good job tonight. All right, pastor, come and take this pulpit. Come on. Oh, I guess I should have done that. Thank you. Let me do this real quick, preacher. I always do it. Tomorrow night, our rumblers are Isaac and Jack. Are they here tonight? Do we have any representatives of Isaac and Jack? Huh? Yeah! Yeah! You're representing Isaac and Jack tonight. They're going to rumble against Harmon and Kathy. Where's Harmon and Kathy? Now... Get your eyes open. Here we go. Who would say nobody has asked me to stand for tomorrow night? Hold your hand up right now. Nobody has asked me to stand up for Wednesday night. Is there anybody left? Yep, there's a few. You guys get after them as soon as we say amen. Ask them to stand for your team. All right, Pastor, I'm sorry. Go ahead. 
These keys were found in the bathroom. Somebody's key left in the bathroom. When you go to leave, you're not going to have a key. You'll have to spend the night here. <laughs> Second option, come get the key. Yeah. All right. So tomorrow night, uh, Taco Burrito Bar 530. We've got a team put together to prepare the food. We're looking forward to it. And remember, you're making calls to invite a friend. Let's have tomorrow night be the biggest night of all the revival. Bigger than Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night. Let's have a great service tomorrow night, last night of the revival. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed. Thank you so much for coming out. Father in heaven, I pray that you be with us as we go forth. Lord, I pray that we think about and pray about the message we heard tonight. Because all around us are people who are believing a lie and they're not receiving Christ as their Savior, and they need to. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to minister to those folks, reach out to those folks, and we pray for those folks tonight. And as we go forth, Lord, I lift up before you the nation of Israel, the Middle East. I ask that your, your grace, your mercy would be shown forth. Lord, only, only you know the, the purpose and the work of your hand as it goes about the things of eternal things, things of the nation of Israel, your, your chosen people. I pray, Lord, that as only you can see, I pray for your will to be done. In Christ's name we pray, amen.